We have some definition for love. Again, the world has its definition. You know, if you love me, you let me. Uh, you know, I love you if. Uh, everything's conditional in the world. But here we find God's definition of love. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. Because I don't want to become flippant in my relationship with God. Hey, God, you know, what you doing today? You know, I'm good, good, good to see you, you know, kind of thing. But that I can go to God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says, it's the kind of relationship you would have where you crawl up into your dad's lap. You put your arm around his neck. You kiss him on the cheek and say, Daddy, here am I. What do you want me to do for you? That's the relationship God wants. That's what all the rules, all, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then because God's a good God and always gives us more than we ask, he said, the second is likened unto it. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he said something that I'm sure caused every one of the Pharisees' jaws to hit the floor. He said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. What does that mean? In other words, everything that the Old Testament was about was to love God and to love your fellow man. Now we find Paul writing a book concerning this about love. And so he says... If I have all these gifts and able to demonstrate the power of these gifts, and I have not love, I am nothing. This word love is the word agapeo. It's, it's, it's the deepest love. It's, it's that, that spiritual intimacy that we have. And friends, I believe that is the key ingredient. If you do an overview of the study in the Gospels, it says, And Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. But the key ingredient in compassion is agapeo, that that love for their heart, love for their soul. Jesus seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. That's where the problem is. So what do I expect God to do as he fills us with his Holy Spirit? That we would see people as sheep without a shepherd. That we would see that love that they need for God. See, people don't need rules and regulations and religion. That's, that's what the world offers. That's how you approach God. Well, you know, you got to clean yourself up. You got to start doing this, stop doing that, sell some flowers, do some, you know, charitable deeds. And Jesus paid it all. We come to him. And so he says, if I had faith that I could move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. People have asked, how is God going to judge the world someday? How's God going to judge me? Well, the Bible tells us, and I think that's why it's important, as GQ magazine this past week took the Bible off one of the most popular books of the top 20 books, because after all, you don't want God's standard in the world on how God's going to judge the world someday. Well, when we look at this and we realize that if I don't have love, what we do profits us nothing. Now, this isn't the love that the world speaks of. It's the world's love is always so conditional. I love you if. Uh, I love you if you'll do this. I love you if you'll do that. I love you if you buy this. You know, that whole can kind of thing. And love in the world is so selfish. I think Toyota years ago summarized it very well with the slogan that they have, I love what you do for me. Well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? You see, real love doesn't expect anything in return. And when I don't expect anything in return, guess what happens? Friends, I'm not disappointed. So in other words, when you give, not expecting anything in return, Jesus said, God is the one that gives the return. Somebody said one time, the true character of an individual is how you treat others that can in no way repay you back. I think that's a good thing to say. Actually, Jesus is the one that said that. He said it in a little bit different words. He said, if you only are good to those that are good to you, what reward do you think you have? Even the sinners do that. He says, but when you're Benevolent, you give to somebody else, knowing that they can't give back to you. Your father, who sees it all, will reward you. And so he says, It profits me nothing if I forget that. Now, we have some definition for love. Again, the world has its definition. I'll, you know, if you love me, you let me. Uh, you know, I love you if. Uh, everything's conditional in the world. But here we find. God's definition of love. In verse 4, somebody said one time, one of the funniest things you can do is take out the word love here and put your own name in the place of where love appears and see how you do on the love-o-meter. Mike suffers long and is kind. Mike does not envy. Mike does not parade itself. See, and you begin to go, ooh. Let's just go back to the word love. Love suffers long and is kind. Um, You can suffer long, but you don't always, not always kind. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? I can put up with people, but that doesn't mean I like it. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. I want what they got. Somebody said one time, a good way to covet, if you want to do that, you say, I want what you got, and I hope you get something better. Well, we're basically saying I'm not satisfied with where God has brought me at this point. I think that's a dangerous place to be, because God is actually the one that has us right where we're at. Why is that? Because it's through sometimes the lack of things in our life where we find God the most. Somebody said one time, 
fruit is never grown on the mountaintops. It's always grown in the valleys. That's true. The vantage point from the mountaintops is great, but not much grows up there. It's down in the valleys, and sometimes in our areas and times of lack and need do we realize just how much God is everything, in fact, that we do need. And so he says, love does not parade itself. Now, in other words, it's not something that is outward as much as it is inward. It says it's not puffed up. Um, You ever been around puffed up people? It's kind of hard, isn't it? You always feel inferior around them. They're not one of us. They're they're over here and they're up here. You know, their head swells up and they drag their ears when they walk through doors. Always kind of a scary place to be. It says, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked and thinks no evil. In other words, it's not rejoicing in somebody else's demise. You see somebody go through something, you're not going, ha ha, I knew it, there they were going to get it. That's, uh, that's uh, um, well, as it says, that's thinking evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Now here it says, the word bears here is, is not those furry things with the teeth. It says bears all things. Actually, it says, um, means cover or shield. That's what the word, so every time you see bears all things, it, it's talking about shielding or covering. It says that love covers or shields all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I like that. I think that's really important to always remember that, that um, love is a buffer between us and, and the evil world out there. And it's what absorbs things. You know, somebody says, well, did you hear this, this, or this? Well, good. I want to go find out on my own if that's really true. You'll find most of the time what people say is not true. And everybody knows what's on the Internet's true. Uh, you listen to some of the crazy things that, that people believe and is out there and all these things. Things that are made up. Things that actually look like they have some kind of credibility. Well, that's all part of the, that's all part of the myth. That's all part of the the show. And see, if these people, in fact, even Christian uh, blog sites and things like that, if they were really truly Christians, they would read this and know that everything they're doing is purely of the devil. Because that's not what God has ever called us to do. It says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. You see, that, that's, that's, the, that's the common denominator that we have to have. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to have a family, if you're going to have anything, you have to have a, a, a common denominator. You have to have a baseline of what your life is. And so he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. You know, as I look at this and you back up a little bit, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And I haven't seen knowledge vanish away, so I don't think tongues have have ceased either or, or any of the other gifts. 
But when I see this, then I have to come back and read this. I know in part, we prophesy in part. But you know, the Bible says, when I was a child, but, when I w- but, w- but that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, when we, we have to look at this, and I know a lot of times people misinterpolate this and say, well, childish things are the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, no, friends. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. It's what keeps us where we are and a soft heart towards God so we can minister to people. Like he says, you can have all the gifts, all those things that First Corinthians chapter 12 talk about, but if you don't have a heart of love, it ain't going to do any good. Why? Because even evangelism without love is not good. I, I shared about the, the guy uh, when I grew up in Southern California. <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff there. But um, I remember going to the beach and there was a guy with a, with a sandwich sign on. In fact, just about anybody that grew up in Southern California, if you went to the beach, probably came across these people. But they had a sandwich sign on. Uh, the end is soon, repent or perish. And they had a bullhorn and they would just go up and down the beach screaming at people. And I remember him walking up to a, a couple sitting on a blanket. And this guy was just screaming at the top of his voice at this couple that was sitting there. And I was thinking, if, if I was the devil, that is exactly how I would keep people from ever coming to Christ. Why? Because there's no love. You see, now, if you saw a couple sitting on a thing and you really wanted to talk to them, how would you do that? Well, you might go get a couple of Pepsis or something, go up and say, hey, would you like a cold Pepsi? Yeah, hey, and you start talking to them. The Bible says to communicate, forget not. And I used the illustration last Sunday about the apple pie. And that's what a lot of people do because of a couple reasons. One, lack of love. Uh, they just feel condemned if they don't do something because they have not truly understood it. They take it. Would you like some apple pie? Yeah. Right in the face. How'd you like it? Ugh. But you know, if you take a little time, maybe sit down with them on the blanket, you can cut the whole apple pie up and they'll eat the whole thing. Probably ask for some more. The point is, is that the gospel is to be presented in love, not out of obligation but out of love. And so he says, the Holy Spirit is what does this. We prophesy in part. We don't know all the things yet. I think the day we walk into heaven, we're going to be a whole lot smarter than we are now. That's why I like to go over Revelation. You see the seraphim going up and down by the throne of God. And you, you see all the things going on. The Bible gives us a, some description in the book of Isaiah and the book of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. That way we're not like a bunch of country bumpkins when we get up and go, oh, what's that? Oh, I remember reading about that. Yes, that's what that is. Somebody said one time, they said, well, when we get to heaven, are we going to remember anything that happened down here? Yes, I, I absolutely believe that, friends. I believe that's one of the reasons why, if you remember, there's a weird thing. I got this question on every man to answer. But there's a tree in the midst of heaven And its leaves were for the healing of the nations. If anybody's read Revelation, that probably. And people say, well, why why is that in there? Because I believe that we're going to have 
we're still, I mean, when we go to heaven, it isn't like we forget everything that we've ever learned. When we go to heaven, we're going to remember things, but there's a healing that comes. And a lot of times the healing that comes is understanding. And I think through the healing of the nations, through the healing of the leaves, I believe it covers. What, what do leaves do? They cover the tree. They, they cover uh, uh, the, the, the branches. I believe that covering, that God will have us understand why we had differences with people. And I, I believe, and because, you know, it's really weird. One of the things that you find in Revelation 2, when you get up towards the end of the book of chapter 20, it says, and Jesus wipes away every tear from their eyes. Somebody said, well, I thought when we got to heaven, everything was going to be happy. Why are people in heaven crying? I don't completely know. It doesn't tell us. Maybe it's because when they get to heaven, they're going to look around and go, wow, this is all real. Oh, God, I just wish I would have done more for you when I had the chance. Maybe it's a little remorse for allowing ourselves to be bought off by a temporal piece of brass that the world would offer us for the real gold that God offers us and we cry. Maybe it'd be a lot like Peter when he went out and wept bitterly because he denied the Lord. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but the Bible, the good news is it says Jesus wipes away every tear from their eye. And as I look at this, I see that there is... We don't have all, all we, we have the Bible. We're going to know a whole lot more the day we walk into heaven. Paul says it like this, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. So someday we're going to see God face to face. Right now we see through a, a if you have the old King James, a glass darkly. <laughs> we don't see it all, but we're going to see it much more clear when we get there. And he says, and I know that just as I am known, I will be known. That's why in heaven, you'll be no stranger there. You'll be no stranger there than you are here. (laughs) No, you'll be no stranger there. The Bible says we'll be known as we're known, Paul says. We're going to be just the right age. We're going to have just the right, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're, you know, we're going to be the right weight. We're, we're going to get a new body that doesn't break down like this one. And you don't have to be in your 50s and 60s and 30s to need a new body. You can see some issues sometimes that start happening when you're 17, 18, 20. You go, man, I hope I don't have to live with this problem for the rest of my life. Some good news. You don't. God's got a brand new body for us, the Bible says. In fact, Paul says that um, we don't exactly know what it will be, but we know when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to get a new body. But right now, through through a mere dimly or darkly, but then face to face, I know in part, but I shall be known just as I am also known. Now abide in these three, literally, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. That's how we're to live. Live in love. You know, you can choose to be a stinky or you can choose to be lovely. I, and I have found that a lot of times it's easier to be stinky. Why is that? Well, because that follows into an Olson nature. But you know, when we're in Jesus, and I realize how much I've been forgiven for, and how many shortcomings that I've had in my life, and I... I think I probably got a whole trophy box full of shortcomings. I realize that God's forgiveness is for all of us. And I want to treat every person 
with the same understanding that they too can be forgiven of everything they've ever done. And seeing the multitudes, he had compassion on them. Seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. Do we see them that way today? Or, if we go back, do we end up with this understanding, I have become something that doesn't represent Jesus at all. You see, we can have the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have, and gifts and all those things, but we can become something out of unity, out of discord, that doesn't cause help. He says, but I become a sounding brass and a clinging cymbal. This morning, I just pray this morning that as a Christian, you've asked God to fill you with this Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how do I know if I've been filled with the Spirit? Well, two things that we find here. First one is, do you love? I think that's the number one gift of the Spirit is love. Because it causes to see this world differently. The second thing we find, and I'm going off of Acts chapter 2, when Peter was filled with the Spirit, we remember he had what that he didn't have before. He started cussing and swearing. He didn't know who Jesus was to a slave girl. Now he stands up in Acts chapter 2, full of the Spirit, in boldness, proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. So, two things that I look for in a Spirit-filled believer's life. Yes, the gifts are great, and we need to have those. But the two gifts that I look for in an individual's life that's spirit-filled is love and boldness. And we're going to talk a little bit more next week in chapter 14 about the proper uses of the gifts in church. So that way, there's the power without freaking people out. A lot of times people have gone to Pentecostal churches and, they're, and they, they become terrified because of things they don't understand that are going on. So Paul addresses that in chapter 14. And always remember, love is the thing we want to look for in the empowerment of our lives. In other words, do we see people as just beggars that are always out for something, or do we see them as people in need of a Savior who are buying into the lie of the world, trying to fill the hole in their heart, and gosh, Lord, here I am. Give me the love that I need to reach out to those people. Uh, allow me to, to take time, not megaphone them to death, but sit down with them on the blanket and talk to them about your love. You see, God took time with me. God took time with you. And I think that's what's so important. This morning, if you've never asked Christ in your life, you're living on the backside. You're, you're, you're in the world. You're, you're, you're bli- buying the lie of the world. I, I just want to encourage you this morning to repent. That means turn your life around. Now, I know maybe you've tried this on New Year's resolutions and all other kinds of things, but you did it on your own, and you can't do it on your own. This is something God has to do for us. So we say, okay, Lord, I want to change. I want you to change me. I want my life to mean something in eternity. I don't want to run down empty bunny trails anymore. So from this day forward, I repent of the foolish way I live. Come and live inside of me. Empower me now to live your way. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. And now, for the first time in my life, I can live for you to be about your will. You know, the Bible says if we'll do that, God will change us. It begins with a willing heart, just like the thief on the cross. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This morning, if you've never prayed, never asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray. People listening on the radio and on YouTube and all the other things that are out there, I just want to invite you to pray as well. And we're going to pray right now for some life-changing power that comes only from God in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And he died in my place. And his blood covered my sins. And so from this day forward, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be like you. To love and to stand up for you. And to trust you in all things. And thank you for eternal life that I never have to be scared of dying again. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.